the April 26, 2019 edition of Weekly Signals Meltdown, a reconfiguration of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting from KUCI Studio A, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Yeah, and that's you know who. As always, <laughs> Clarence Thomas's vocal coach, Mahler, the fake news dog. Rough. Coming up, photovoltaics. Yeah. Russia in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> m- m- renter vote. President Dum Dum and more. But first, who's your favorite Care Bear, Mike? Oh, there's so many, uh, and I just have... time bear? Birthday bear? Birthday bear. Okay. Yeah. Mine is climate change bear. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I really have this thing That's for... That's a new yeah, character. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's, a, yeah, yeah, That's a new climate one. Climate change bear. Wow. <laughs> a new study demonstrates that electrical activity in the brain can be decoded and used to synthesize speech. The study used data feeds from five patients whose brains were already being monitored for epileptic seizures with electrodes placed directly on the surfaces of their brains, not on their scalp. They went inside there. As the patients read off hundreds of sentences, the electrodes recorded fluctuations in the brain's voltage that correlated with speech. The translation from voltage to speech was made by combining the voltage readings with data from recent studies that found how our brain's speech centers encode the movements of lips, tongue, and jaw. So the question, of course, is could you understand the synthetic speech? For answers, researchers recruited a group of 1,700 English speakers. Participants listened to 101 sentences of synthetic the size speech, and then tried to transcribe yeah. what they heard. They were correct 43 to 21% of the time, depending on the sentence. Kind of like the way I am with our president. You know, <laughs> I, I listen to his speech, and I figure about 21% of the time I understand him. For example, simple sentences like, is this seesaw safe, got perfect transcriptions every time. Yeah. But more complicated sentences like, at twilight on the 12th day, Mahler took a crap in front of the biology building, were translated correctly less than 30% of the time. And by the way, that's a true statement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That is, yeah, yeah, that's that's right, Mahler. Way to go. You almost got caught, too. (laughs) We have a, a sample. Oh, of the wow. uh, of the speech here. This is impressive. Okay, here yeah. we go. This is what the went in. The proof that you are seeking is not available in books. And this is the transcribe or the, the translation. The proof that you are seeking is not available in books. Okay, let's try that again. Okay, this was real. Okay. Shipbuilding is a most fascinating process. And this is the result. Shipbuilding is a most fascinating process. I wouldn't want to say what I think. I, uh, I was a little worried about you playing that when I heard the <laughs> the original translation. Yeah. It's getting there. Well, but this is remarkable. Yeah, we are on the path to being able to literally hook something up to our head and being able to communicate. With communicate. Each other. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's pretty amazing. I mean, this is the part of yeah. humanity that gives me hope. The universe's first molecule, thought to be created after the Big Bang. Well, yeah was detected in space for the first time. Helium hydride, or H-E-H, or 
A combination of helium and hydrogen was spotted 3,000 light years from Earth by an instrument aboard the Airborne Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy, or SOFIA. A telescope built into a converted 747 jet that flies above the Earth's atmosphere. Heh. Helium and hydrogen. Yeah, yeah has long been thought to mark the dawn of chemistry as the remnants of the Big Bang cooled to about 4,000 Kelvin. That's about 6,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. And ions begin to team up with electrons to form neutral atoms. Researchers believe that primordial gas, neutral helium, reacted with hydrogen ions to form the first chemical bond joining the first molecule. Climate Damage News is brought to you by ExxonMobil because money is more important than you are. Alaska is in the middle of one of the warmest springs ever. The average temperature for March recorded at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Observatory in Ukeavik was 18.6 degrees Fahrenheit above the normal temperature. Yeah. That's almost 20 degrees above what's normal Yes. in Alaska. Yes. Alaska had its earliest 70-degree day of the year ever. Ice roads built on frozen waterways, a vital means of transportation in Alaska, have become weak and unreliable. At least five people died this spring after falling through ice that melted sooner than expected. Brian Thomas who has served as station chief of the Barrow Atmospheric Baseline Observatory, that's the U.S.'s northernmost scientific outpost, doesn't want any more wishy-washy conversations about climate change. Yeah, Father, yeah, that's true. Climate change is happening faster than it's ever happened before in our record, he said. Each morning, Thomas checks the preliminary number on the observatory's carbon dioxide monitor, on a recent Thursday, it was almost 420 parts per million, nearly twice as high as the global pre-industrial average. You know, and you c combine this story with the story we talked about last week, which was about the Bering yeah. Seas, yeah. which are right there between Alaska and Siberia, and talking about how they were seeing things there that they weren't predicting for 50 more years. Yeah. This doesn't look good. We're heating up fast here, folks. We really are. Yeah. We've talked about this many times on the show where the real fear, beyond just the obvious one, which is the scientific data here, is that these systems begin to feed upon themselves and yeah. accelerating the degree to which they are changing. Accelerate exponentially. It's a feedback loop where yeah. things start to accelerate because they are dependent upon one another. Yeah. And we didn't measure that before. No. We weren't able to measure their dependency we were just measuring the rate of increase in heat not the dependency on each other exactly and, and that's that a that's equation. a function that's a function of science beginning to understand the way that these things interact in a way that they didn't before and yeah. now oh boy if this news saddens you may i recommend a donation to kuci fm to lift your spirits just go to kuci.org your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio at KUCI 88.9 FM. KUCI.org.
The Netherlands will have the world's largest collection of solar panel islands capable of withstanding high wind speeds and repositioning themselves to track the sun. The installation will cover around half the surface area of North Holland's Ondijk Reservoir. They call the floating photovoltaic panels photovoltaic panels because they're floating. Mm -hmm. Photovoltaic panels have been successful since the first time they appeared in California 10 years ago, and now they've reached over 100 sites. Well, that was at the end of 2017. Wow. The Netherlands project is set to cover 15 islands with a total of over 73,000 panels. The initial phase, covering three islands measuring about 460 feet in diameter each, is set to hit the water in November. The project will combine another site involving static panels in nearby Hoeddorf to provide energy for 10,000 homes. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> Mahler! Yeah. And by the way, other countries are showing an interest in this. Japan has already begun the process of using this, and as well as Thailand. So we're only way behind everybody else at yeah. this point. Yeah. Yeah. Although it's California was the origin of these things. Well, California's moving ahead. Yeah. yeah, We're trying to drag the rest of the country with us. The UN. You hear that thing? The United Nations? Mm -hmm. yeah. They wanted to end sexual violence in war. But then President Dum Dum <laughs> stepped in when Dennis Mukwege a Congolese gynecologist and Nadia Murad, an Iraqi Yazidi, were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize last year for their work to stop the use of sexual violence as a weapon of war. There was widespread praise from all parts of the world, including the U.S. But when President Dum Dum and the Republicans were asked this month to do their part by passing a U.N. resolution to end sexual violence in war, things went south. Can you imagine that? No, I can't. Yeah. Well, yes, I can, but no, yeah. I can't. I mean, yes, I can imagine this yeah. idiot not wanting, for whatever yeah. crazy-ass reason, doesn't want it to happen, but on a human moral level, no, I can't. The U.N. Security Council finally passed the resolution, but only in a watered-down version, diluted by President Dum Dum. This followed weeks of U.S. objections to remove all references to reproductive and sexual health which the U.S. delegation feared would be understood as support for abortions. The approved resolution still supports measures to end the use of sex as a weapon of war through better access for victims to justice, medical and psychological assistance, and reintegration into society. Francois Delatra, the French ambassador, said women and girls who suffer from sexual violence in conflict and who obviously didn't choose to become pregnant should have the right to terminate their pregnancy. Yeah, so I guess this means that if Ivanka Trump were raped by a member of ISIS, mm -hmm. she'd have to have the baby. Yeah. Another little Donnie Jr. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would like at least the people in the administration to absorb that if well, they can. Well, let's just say pay the price for this incredibly misguided, hypocritical decision to block the implementation of this. Yeah. It's all about votes, too. Yeah. This has nothing to do with their morals or their ethics right. or their religion. They don't have any except money. Right. What they're thinking about is staying in power. And a big part of their base would fly off the handle if anything connected to abortion were passed with the U.S. signature. 
Also removed from the final resolution were references to expanded U.N. monitoring that would keep track of violations of the resolution, which means perpetrators will have to fear less international scrutiny than the original plan. Mm -hmm. In other words, there won't be enough monitoring of what's going on. It'll happen, and then it won't be recorded, and several years from the incident, nobody will remember that Saudi Arabia raped 300 people. Yeah. Well, these Saudi are definitely Saudi troops. These are things that have been, particularly in Africa and the Middle East, all over the world, for God's sake. Rape is considered an option in war. It's yeah. considered a way to demoralize the population that you're seeking to conquer. It's considered in some realm the bounty of winning. Ah. Such an immoral. If you want to get into politics and you're worried about morality, yeah. you're in the wrong business. I understand that, especially in governing, especially at this level. But there are degrees to which you have the option to be able to exercise some moral gravitas. Yeah. This administration at every turn does not. Six years. After gutting the Voting Rights Act, the conservative justices on the Supreme Court seem like they're going to uphold the dumb-dumb administration's edition of a citizenship question to the 2020 census by claiming it's needed for better enforcement of the Voting Rights Act. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, who oversees the Census Bureau, wrote in March 2018 that the citizenship question was needed for more effective enforcement right. of the Voting Rights Act. The conservative justices seem sympathetic to this claim during questioning this week. Lawyers for the states challenging the citizenship question, along with groups like the ACLU, argued that the citizenship question would harm the very minority communities the Voting Rights Act was designed to protect. Approving the citizenship question by invoking the Voting Rights Act would be a bitter irony for the communities of color that stand to lose the most from an unfair and inaccurate census. There were six previous heads of the Census Bureau, Republican and Democrat, who weighed in on, don't do this. Yeah. Don't make this part of the census. And in the Constitution, the idea of the census is to account for everyone yeah. in the country. It's <laughs> purely political. And if the Supreme Court does go in the direction that you're describing of the question making it part of the census, it will reveal once again the Supreme Court is now an adjunct to the Republican Party. It is purely a political based on the majority of the justices on the Supreme Court, that they are political hacks. We're going to make this an issue because Donald Trump wants to get reelected. Yeah. The census determines how $880 billion in federal funding is allocated, how much representation states receive, and how political districts are drawn. Large numbers of immigrants don't respond to the census, or just if large number of people who fear Trump's wrath on anybody who's brown or black or not his color, whatever or, that or is. Or households. This is where it really hurts. Households who feel that by answering that question will endanger the entire household. In family. In fam yes. Yeah is another reason was you'll get a lot of people who just based on a connection to their extended family won't answer these questions. Yeah.
If large numbers of immigrants don't respond to the census, which was not asked about citizenship since 1950, the areas where they live could lose representatives in Congress and federal funding, and economic and political power could shift to more Republican areas, or what we like to call white folk. Three federal courts have struck down the citizenship question so far. The Supreme Court's decision is expected in late June. By the way, Wilbur Ross, I've said it before and I'll say it again, the most corrupt member of a very corrupt cabinet in the Trump administration. He is vastly compromised by his economic, by his uh, financial, dealing financial dealings. Yeah. And, and he should be the next person to go to jail in all of this crazy misogosh that we're in right now with the Trump administration. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9 on our Tumblr blog at KUCIradio.tumblr.com, on Twitter at KUCI FM, and on Instagram at KUCI FM. Stream us live on iTunes and on TuneIn. On iTunes, just go to Internet College University, KUCI 88.9 FM. I hope you're happy. I have heartburn right now. Really? I never get heartburn. <laughs> I actually have, like, yes, I have heartburn right now. Uh, it's Trump digestive syndrome. Uh, Kentucky might be going into business with the Russian mafia. <laughs> Why not? Get in early, get in often. If all goes according to plan by the middle of the year, the state will be in business with Oleg Deripaska, a buddy of Vladimir Putin. Deripaska could be sending $200 million in what's probably mobbed up money to northeastern Kentucky to build a $1.7 billion aluminum plant on an old strip mine there. The U.S. government has long believed that Deripaska has deep ties to Russian organized crime. Nabratva. Yeah. He was deeply implicated in the, and I'll call it collusion, conspiracy with the Trump campaign during yeah. the election. This, to not get too much into President Dum Dum, but those are his words, collusion. Right. Mueller never said You're he right. was looking into collusion. That's right. We bought Trump's word, collusion. Right. And I don't like to use it anymore. You're right. You're right. There were business dealings between Trump, his campaign, and the Russians, there were business dealings during the campaign and are going on now that and, should disqualify him completely. And Paul Manafort did give voter roll files to Kalimnik. This is the trick they keep playing, and you gotta, you got to listen for this. When they say Russian government, okay, you can make the case no actual Russian official was involved in this, but people attached to Russian intelligence who were civ quote unquote civilians, but were also partners with Putin in yeah. financial dealings and financial misconduct, were involved with the Trump campaign all over the place. The idea of collusion, again, Trump's term. Yeah. He was doing business with Russians and along the way, the Russians who were partially involved with him through the election. Yeah. In the United States, they did things to throw the election in the United States, and that's one of the major findings of the Mueller report. That's right. These are mobsters. Putin's yeah. a mobster. Trump's a mobster. They don't speak to one another directly. They wouldn't do that. That's not how it operates. Yeah. 
They just make it known, as Michael Cohen said in his testimony, they make it known what they want, yeah. right? I'd hate for Nathan Callahan to end up in the trunk of a car yeah. someday with his head blown off. That would be awful, wouldn't it? Everybody <laughs> knows what that means. I mean, really, that's just yeah. the way it works. Well, mother, don't worry. So here we go. Okay. Uh, now, we're, we got the U.S. government has long believed that Deripaska has deep ties to the Russian organized crime, the Bratva, so much so that it limited his travel here and prohibited him from doing business in this country. Right. The Kentucky aluminum plant that he and his company is investing in is the Brady Industries aluminum plant that Republican Kentucky Governor Matt Bevan poured $15 million of Kentucky taxpayer money into in 2017. But the plant has had trouble getting off the ground. Enter Rosal. Rosal, yeah. A Russian aluminum company that until just three months ago was barred from doing business in the U.S. in part because of its ties to Deripaska. The dum-dum administration, the Trump administration, lifted the sanctions in January after Deripaska agreed to reduce his ownership stake in the Moscow-based company from 70% the 45 percent which is a lie it's a scam well whether okay. it's a lie or not even if he did reduce it you know that that extra 25 percent is probably being picked up by a friend yeah. jared kushner for all i know and that came only after kentucky's senior senator and senate majority leader mitch collusion mcconnell backed the decision despite large numbers of republicans and democrats who objected to allowing rasal into the u.s the House voted to keep the sanctions 362 to 53. In other words, they didn't want Rosal in. But the Senate fell three votes short of the 60 votes needed to end a filibuster. Right. That's how we got this. That's right. Against the will of Congress. Right. This is McConnell's gig here. Yeah. The plant, which at 2.5 million square feet would be one of the largest buildings in the world. And it's supposed to be fully operational in 2021. So the questions are... How deep is Russia into McConnell? Right. Well, we did a story a few weeks ago yeah. about him getting Russian money during his reelection campaign, yeah. or at least funneling it into the Republican Party through his and, path. And, and the most important thing in my mind is he helped Russia get Trump into the White House by refusing to let the American government notify the public about and help states arm against Russian incursion in the 2016 election. That's right. And that happened. That happened. Yeah. Obama administration went to the entire leadership, including McConnell in the House and Senate, and said, these are things that are happening. We know them to be happening, but we do not want to put our finger on the electoral scale here by going public with it without clearing it with you. And everyone else was on, on board except for Mitch McConnell. He objected. It was enough to veto this from uh, happening. Yeah, he wanted to protect the American voter. Uh, Obama did. Yes. He wanted to make sure the elections were fair. That's right. He knew that Russia was involved in the election, and the only person that prevented Obama from letting the public know about this was right. McConnell, they who had, is now benefiting. They had actionable intelligence in June and July of 2016, that they wanted to go public. McConnell said no. Yeah. And now he's looking to Russia to help his own re-election prospects and stranglehold on the Senate with a big assist from Bevan and Paul. It's called payback. <laughs> Democrats are trying to win the renter vote. Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, and Kamala Harris, senators from some of the most expensive housing markets in the country, have proposed bills to alleviate the housing crisis. 
renters heavily overlap with key Democratic constituencies, including Ute and urban hipsters. <laughs> yeah. Voter turnout of renters in 2016 was about 12 percentage points lower than homeowners. That's voter turnout among renters. Renters favored Hillary, by the way, by 28 points. Homeowners favored Donald Dum Dum by 11 points. Wow. The market has changed since 2016. High rent costs have increasingly spread beyond coastal cities, and the strain on the pocketbook is now felt from the working class to the middle class. Housing vacancy rates are at a three-decade low. 60% of people say housing affordability is a serious problem where they live. That's up 21 points since 2016. That's amazing right there. That's a figure that yeah. somebody's eyes will be bugging out when they see that. Yeah. Up 21 points. Yeah. People say housing is unaffordable since only 2016. And what, is, what happened in 2016, Mike? Let me think about that. Uh, Something really, really bad. It's in my mind somewhere here. I can't really remember. Yeah. Mahler knows. Yeah, Mahler remembers. A veil yeah. of tears. I yeah, know Mahler. Donald yeah. Trump. Yeah. But rents just keep rising with the added pressure of millions of people who became renters when their homes went into foreclosure. Kamala Harris has proposed a refundable tax credit for renters. Liz Warren reintroduced a bill in March, co-sponsored by another presidential candidate, Kirsten Gillibrand, that includes a hefty infusion of money to nonprofit developers of affordable housing. That's nonprofit developers, right. paid for by raising the estate tax. Warren's bill also includes down payment assistance to new homeowners living in neighborhoods that were historically redlined by banks in an effort to narrow the black-white homeownership gap. Warren and Booker also want to nudge local communities to allow more housing by changing zoning laws that block the construction of apartments or denser housing. They don't need to travel as far to get where they want. That's right. The California Assembly's Privacy and Consumer Protection Committee capitulated to industry complaints that our privacy is inconvenient for the greedy bastard's bottom line. In other words, your privacy online and elsewhere is being compromised here, even though we just passed a bill here in California. The committee voted to advance five bills opposed by privacy advocates that would undermine the landmark California Consumer Privacy Act. Instead of standing up for Californians and their constitutional right to privacy, the committee and its chairman, Ed Chow, would not defend the California Consumer Privacy Act, let alone strengthen it. While the Privacy Committee failed to protect our privacy, the Senate Judiciary Committee recently voted to strengthen it. Now, all they're going to do, though, is strengthen our ability to defend a weaker bill. Good for the Senate Judiciary Committee. At right. least they did their job. Right. That committee voted to advance a bill that will improve the enforcement of the California Consumer Privacy Act by ensuring that people can sue the companies that violate their privacy rights and strengthening the powers of the California Attorney General. So unfortunately, some politicians up in Sacramento, even though we voted to protect our privacy, have enough ties with Silicon Valley and Google and Facebook and the rest of them that well, they, they, uh, they don't really care about our privacy as much as they care about money. Well, okay, so this is, <clears throat> excuse me, Ed Chow, okay, uh -huh. for people listening. Let's make Ed Chow know how we feel about this. There's also... Assemblyman Burke, Assemblyman Daly, and Assemblyman Irwin. So these are the people that are heading up this effort to weaken these protections. Oh, yeah. And by the way, this story came to Nathan 
from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which in and of itself people should know about. Yeah. You can contribute. You can help them. It's EFF.org, right? Yeah, EFF.org. Yeah. You are correct. Electric Frontier Foundation. They're a great group. They've been around for a long time doing work like this, exposing how things are going askew with the Internet. EFF.org. Check yeah. it out. Philosopher Nick Bostrom. He proposed that if humans keep up the current rate of technological advancement, one day our technology will kill us. <laughs> I saw this story. I had very mixed feelings about including it in our show, but it is something that we should be aware of, right? Yeah. <laughs> Founder of University <laughs> of Oxford's Future of Humanity Institute argues the world is not prepared for the development of techno-creations that could cause the destruction of modern civilizations. Well, yeah. Picture a big urn filled with balls. Yeah. <laughs> Picture that, Mahler. Yeah. Balls. Yeah. <laughs> Picture a big urn filled with balls. <laughs> uh, you got that, Mahler? Uh, Representing ideas, methods, and possible technologies, Bostrom said. We've extracted a great many white balls. I don't know why they're white. Some various shades of gray, which are mixed blessings, according to him. We haven't so far pulled out the black ball, a technology that destroys the civilization that discovers it. So what do we do when we discover this black ball? Bostrom proposes two key systems. Very dystopian, by the way. Yeah. Both of them. And Yeah. I don't like this guy okay. and his ilk. Okay. The first would require, according to Bostrom, uh, stronger global governance that would enable states to agree to outlaw the use of the technology quick enough to avert total catastrophe. The second system would require much more surveillance. Bostrom describes a kind of freedom tag fitted to everyone that transmits encrypted audio and video that spots signs of undesirable behavior. Now, yeah, I mean, that's not good. And it's, it's a scare tactic. It is a scare and, and, tactic. And he's using it to get your attention. And he's, he's got his own Future of Humanity Institute, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> what bothers me about this, though, is that this whole thing, that technology overload scenario thing, has been written about in literature for hundreds of years. That's Frankenstein, basically. We're right, talking about right, Frankenstein right, here. Right, right. This guy comes up, he describes balls. You know, all he does is say they're balls. <laughs> That's right, Mahler. And he goes on TED. So he must be a communications major, very into branding, is all I can figure, because now he's got his balls. Yeah. But in the meantime, great authors have written about this for centuries. Right. And my favorite on this is. Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut. Yes. Remember that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I love that yeah. book. Yes, yeah. yes. Yes. In, in Cat's Cradle, a substance called Ice-9 is invented to help troops cross swamps. And when a crystal of Ice-9 contacts water, the water freezes over. Ice-9 becomes a black ball. And I'm not going to say anything else yeah. about the book. It's, it's a good read. <clears throat> it's worth reading. Yeah. That's what's important about literature. You can approach people and tell them stories and have them learn about life through fiction, through something that isn't true, which is what Bostrom's trying to do, but he turns it into this ball game. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is why I had some reservations about proposing this as a story on the show is because of just the things you're bringing up. The one factor in all of this is, and that is the ability of technology to spread things extremely quickly. 
and it does sometimes it could theoretically impact our ability to react that's i think or we don't have the ability to react no matter how slow it's going we have the technology right. we don't have the antidote okay yes we and, have an atom bomb we can't nullify that except true. to not have atom bombs if this is going to happen it's going to be the old-fashioned way which we're in the process of doing right now with climate change. Ah, and by the way, a comedian who plays a president on TV won Ukraine's presidential election. <laughs> Anything is possible, said the president-elect. Uh, and finally, the leadership of Impact City Church in Parascala, Ohio, apologized after Jadius Dempsey, an associate pastor, asked children to cut him with a knife during a lesson about the crucifixion of Jesus. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.